Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Darren Lewis of the Daily Mirror and Dave Kidd of The Sun. It's tin helmet time. Who's going to win the Premier League? Who'll make the top four? Who's going down? We'll be looking at all 20 teams, starting with Arsenal. Now, you saw them win at Wembley yesterday, Darren. Impressed? Uh, well, I was impressed by their character, uh, not necessarily by uh, the style of play. Well, listen, we know what Arsenal are going to give us uh, whenever they go out there. They, they go out with the intention to be easy on the eye, to be free-flowing, obviously, to try and score goals. Uh, but for much of the game, it looked like Chelsea were going to ride the storm and maybe make off with uh, the win. What impressed me about them was their character. Uh, because obviously when things weren't going their way, they found a way to hang in there, and Kalisinec obviously got the late goal as well. I, I just think the win, they needed it. They needed the win. You, as we all know, Arsenal operate on the cusp of either crisis or euphoria. There's no real half measures as far mm. as Arsenal are concerned. So going into what is going to be a crucial season for Arsenal Wenger, they needed to go in on a high. Crucial season, but is it going to be another groundhog season? I'd imagine so, yeah. I mean... <laughs> I think there's optimism. Um, they play well without Ozil or Sanchez, um, Ramsey. Um, the new guy in defence, Kolesinac, um, looks like a really good Premier League, ready-made Premier League player. Definitely upgrade player. on, on um, Montreal. Yeah, I mean, he's going to play as a, a left wing-back, but he played as one of the three centre-halves yesterday and looked really good in that role as well. Um, and, and Lacazette is an exciting striker um, with, with a great goals record. And I thought he looked, uh, the, the moment when he hit the post um, against uh, Chelsea, was, 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 he looked, he looked, he, you can see by his movement, even in glimpses when he's still getting used to the new setup, you can tell there's, there's quality there. So there's a, I, I, you, you, the fact is that they're going to play a second string team in the Europa League, so they have got this great advantage of not of their, their first string players not playing European football, which should make a big difference. Is that a mistake them? though? Because you know, you look at the, the example of Manchester United last season, they maximised the Europa League mm. and surely Arsenal should be trying to give themselves insurance to maybe get back in the Champions League. I would agree. I think as far as the United were concerned as well, um, he used the Europa League in some cases to kind of get that cohesion in the United side uh, that he probably wouldn't have got had he not been in Europe. That said, 
you look at the back of the programme yesterday, Arsenal had 42 players compared to 24, sorry, 41 players compared to 24 for Chelsea. Uh, we'll get, obviously, you'll do Chelsea a bit later, but I think in terms of the numbers, Arsenal do have a lot of players who might not get a game uh, this uh, coming season, and the Europa League might help, but I do believe that if they want to get that, that kind of consistency and cohesion, I think it would be worth taking the Europa League seriously. As a final point about Arsenal, Dave, what about Arsene Wenger? You know, he's talked about the crickets trying to kill him last season. What's his mood, do you think, going into this year? Um, same as ever, really. I mean, no one's trying to kill him. He gets the best press of any manager around. You know, because yeah. if you want to use his, his sort of high-blown high words, he gets away with murder a lot of the time because, he, you know, people... We, we do actually like him and respect him and... Over 20-odd years, you know, there's a huge amount of respect and affection for him, actually. Um, so no-one's trying to kill him. Um, I, I just think that he should have gone five years ago. Right. One person we do like and respect a lot as a group is Chrissy Hewton at, mm. at Brighton. Notwithstanding that, has he got a strong enough squad to keep them up? Um, I'm not so sure. Uh, I think he's obviously got a willing, capable, organised squad set up. But I think as far as what is the toughest Premier League we have ever seen is concerned, I'm not... I hope he does stay up, but I'm worried about the, the ability of that squad to stay up. They've got four players who were in double figures last season. Uh, Glenn Murray, uh, Anthony Nokia, Ter Mohamed um, and Sam Baldock. They were able to get goals, they were able to get assists. He's brought in a few midfielders as well, young, sort of early 20-something midfielders, including Pascal Gross from Engelstad and Matthias Norman from Bodo Glimp. But I think as far as the quality is concerned, when you compare those players to other squads within the Premier League, they're of a higher calibre, uh, they've got more goals in them, more steel in them, and I just fear for Brighton. It will obviously be a wonderful season for them back in the Premier League, and if anybody can keep them up, see with Bournemouth, you know, we wrote them off when they first came up, mm -hmm. and they are still in there throwing punches. If anybody can do it, Chris Hewton can. Yeah, the one that would worry me is Knockhart, who was I think, by far and away, the best player in the Football League last mm. year. Now, he's injured at the moment. They need to get him back to get, give them a bit of dynamism, don't yeah, they? Yeah, he's a strange one because he's been playing very well at that level for a few seasons, I think, with Leicester before Brighton as well. And, and for some reason, Premier League scouts have looked at him and shied away from him. I'm not quite sure why. So I'm very keen to see what, how he'll do in the top flight. I do think it's going to be a massive feel-good factor down there. And if they can sort of ride the early wave of euphoria and get a good start, which I could see them doing... And quite often we, we can look at players and we can look at things in black and white, but a lot of the time when a club's been through what Brighton's been through and, and that in the city, they, everyone remembered 20 years ago when the club almost went out of existence, almost went out of the league and, and lost their home. And there's something, there's something about that story, even more so than Huddersfield, that, that, that it's the feel-good story of the year. And I think they could, they could just ride that wave and end up being you know, in the top four by the end of September, just through sheer exuberance almost. It's, it's similar to Bournemouth, as I was saying. Yeah. Yeah, everyone so many Bournemouth, yeah. Bournemouth so had, had probably yeah. more money, yeah. I think. They spent more money, more, more backing with the Russian. But, um, but yeah, there are... No, there are in terms of the back story. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But mm. they've they're probably, they're probably got a little bit more... You know, they've, they've spent a, they've a bit more money at it than maybe Brighton were. Yeah, and it's their third... It's going to be their third Premier League season, Bournemouth. Mm. How do you see their squad evolving? They've spent money, as you mm. said, Dave. You know, Nathan Ackie, £20 million, which mm. is an mm. awful lot of money. Mm. Um, although maybe not in today's market. Um, how do you think 
will they just stabilise? Well, you used the right word, evolving, because last summer they fleshed out the squad. They took a chance on a few players, not all of whom have actually uh, justified the faith and the big money that was spent on them. This time around, they've gone for quality. Aki's proven in defence. He got, went back to Chelsea, didn't get a game, decided for himself. And that's a real, been a real theme, uh, Mike, of this uh, summer transfer window. Young players suddenly becoming masters of their own destiny and saying, I'm not going to go back to sit on the bench. I am going to go elsewhere to play. That's what Aki has done um, up front, obviously. Jermaine Defoe, he will get goals. And I saw many games last season where Bournemouth dominated, had chances, couldn't stick them away. That will be different where, as far as Jermaine Defoe is concerned. And, and I just think as far as Bournemouth are concerned, they've opted for quality rather than young players on whom they would take mm. a chance. I think they'll do fine. And Asmir Begovic is a definite upgrading Yeah, Boric has always seemed slightly like a slight possible weak link. He's a slightly eccentric keeper. Um, I think He's always likely to do a, a Cruyff turn on his yeah, own box. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> you, that's really diplomatic. <laughs> Begovic a bit more solid. Um, yeah, I, I agree about Defoe. I think you know he's a good old-fashioned goal scorer. Give him chances, which Bournemouth always seem to create, and he'll, he'll put a good few away. So I think top half Bournemouth this season. Yeah, and Josh King impressed me, especially towards the end of last season, where I think he got 13 in 16. He got 16 goals overall. Total, yeah. You look at him; he strikes me as another big transfer waiting to happen at some stage this year. Absolutely, Spurs have had a long look at him. Uh, it's obviously sort of made eyes at them as well and he would fit the profile at Spurs young English uh, uh, 20 something I think he'd do well to stay I think he'll complement Defoe very well both of them very pacey All, both of them part of a very very fast attack at Bournemouth that will unsettle teams um, he's Norwegian I, by the way yeah, yeah, sorry forgive me thank you <laughs> um, let's see that's the move <laughs> but I think as far as I, th I think as far as uh, Bournemouth are concerned they do have that speed in their attack that will unsettle teams and I think his sort of upward curve because obviously he was at Manchester United couldn't get a game went to Bournemouth and felt that it kind of was shown the love by Eddie Howe that he hadn't had from other clubs and I think he will continue to improve and that attack at Bournemouth will unsettle a lot of bigger name teams and I think we'll see them prove it maybe pulling up a few upsets this season. What about Burnley Dave you know Sean Dyche you know, he's created minor miracles to keep that club mm. up on that budget can he keep on doing it? I fear a bit for them actually um, I think Keane's a big loss to them um, uh, we're all great admirers of what Sean Dyche has done. It, I mean, you don't have to be a sort of UKIP supporter to like the fact that Burnley is a remarkably <laughs> British, you know, in terms of the, the ownership, the, the local ownership, the manager. The, the squad's very British and Irish. Um, it's become a bit of a policy for them. And it, and it is kind of, it's, it's, it's very different and it's interesting. And it, it was good to see them stay up last year, capitalise on it. But I do think losing Keane is, is, is a big loss. Um, one or two of their signings have slightly underwhelmed me. Um, I mean, Cork, uh, Waters. The Premier League old lads, been in and, Yeah, been in and around Premier League squads for a long while. They, they, they know the way around the league. But you know, when you're looking for three relegation candidates, Burnley are going to be there or thereabouts, I'm afraid. I think. Mm. Uh, see, I, I only slightly disagree so much as, as far as Burnley are concerned, your home form keeps you in the Premier League. Mm. And theirs was the toughest place to go last season. Away from they were horrendous, to be fair. Uh, only managed to beat mm. Crystal Palace in April. But as far as the home form was concerned, some of the biggest teams in the Premier League went there and came unstuck, struggled to break them down. I do agree with the players that they've lost. Andre Gray as well wants to go too. Uh, Charlie Taylor looks a decent player from Leeds, mm. but 
was their player of the year a couple of seasons ago. But I think as far as the quality is concerned, this Premier League, it's, I keep saying it, it's not as easy as recent Premier Leagues because there are 20 strong teams in the Premier League. And, you know, where obviously they were able to get away with it last season in terms of their away, uh, away form, this time around they won't. There will be some teams that will hurt them this time. Mm. Instantly, where do you think Andre Gray will end up? Well, I thought he'd end up at West Ham because they do like that sort of uh, young, tried and tested front man. But I think they want a lot of money for him, uh, Burnley, and I don't think there are lots of clubs willing to pay that money at this stage. I think a lot of clubs will want to wait until the end of the window and maybe there'll be a little bit of a bun fight over him. That's me sitting on the fence. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not sit on the fence about Chelsea, Dave. Antonio Conte says it's going to be the most difficult season of his career. The mood music you're hearing mm. from Chelsea is not quite right, no, is it? No, it's all wrong, actually. Um, he was very prickly after the Community Shield, and, he, and before it, really. He was very outspoken before it and prickly afterwards. He's very concerned that he's got a lack of numbers there, um, despite the fact they loaned out 37 players last <laughs> season. Um, but obviously, he doesn't believe any of them, including T Tammy Abraham, for instance. You know, he doesn't believe any of those guys are worth, worth a chance in, the, in his squad. Um, he's been moaning constantly about it. There has become a trend now for, for, for reigning champions to implode you know, instantly um, when they try and defend it. Um, uh, obviously, we've seen what's happened to Mourinho at Chelsea and, and Ranieri at Leicester the last two seasons. And you just fear there's something about Conte that always a feeling that maybe it isn't built to last, that he's done a brilliant job there last season, but that the wheels could, could quite easily come off. And I just thought it was a very strange situation at Wembley when he, he allowed Courtois to have a second penalty. And I know it's a, it's a sort of pre-season friendly, but it sort of matters as well, doesn't it? Mm. And uh, the throwing it away in, in, in that way just seemed a very curious thing to do while, you know, while, he's, while he's moaning about his lack of numbers. He didn't start any of his new players. Obviously, Bakayoko's injured at the moment, but I, I don't see Chelsea retaining the title. No one's retained it for nine years. I don't see Chelsea bucking that trend. Mm. See, I, I, I disagree, actually. I think as far as Chelsea are concerned, yes, I, I see that point entirely about the players who's let go, 37 players, or players who easily, and you, you write about them in your paper, about the fact that if you look at those 37 players, there are definitely players within that amount, within that total, who could have strengthened that squad. Mm. Having said all of that, the big difference between Chelsea under Mourinho and Leicester under Ranieri, those players during those fatal seasons didn't want to play for the managers anymore. Mm. I still think that Chelsea, you look at the performance yesterday, they were organised, they were efficient, they were unlucky because I, I thought William could easily have had a penalty yesterday. I thought Pedro was unlucky to go off because I didn't think it was particularly malicious. I thought it was accidentally overreached and caught. I think it was El Nenny on the Achilles. Mm. They were very unfortunate and that game could have gone a different they, way and then they, suddenly we'd have all been saying all these uncertain things about Arsenal rather mm. than Chelsea. They've got, they've got a really tough run of fixtures after the first game against Burnley. They've got a really tough run and with, with no hazard, if Morata, he, he doesn't believe Morata's ready to start at the moment. If Morata doesn't click straight away, Bakayoko's injured for a while. I think Chelsea could have a very poor start and, and then it could all begin to unravel. They need a strong start in some tough fixtures. But I agree with... I would just want one more. I mean, I agree on that. When they, under Mourinho, they lost to Arsenal and then they won one of the first six and it all fell to pieces. 
difference this time around? I think we can't read too much into the fact that a new player has arrived at a club and needs time to, to get, and get his feet under the table, as in Morata. I think as far as the midfield are concerned, uh, Fabregas doesn't have the steel quite clearly that Bakayoko does. But also, we've got three more weeks for, for them to get someone else in. I, I got the impression with Conte, he did not want to let Matic go before yeah. they got someone else in. I agree. I agree. And that, United, I think, yeah. We've both yeah. written today about the, uh, in our papers about the fact that yeah, that there are those internal wranglings that mm. are straining at the seams. Do you think his attitude uh, towards Costa will come back to bite him? Because you know what dressing rooms are like? They're cliquey, they've all got their mates, haven't they? Yeah, do I, mean, think? I don't think Costa was the, the most popular guy in that dressing room. I mean, he was a kind of a... He's used the word again, eccentric almost. People sort of, I suppose, when he was scoring goals, I think other players kind of were able to laugh it off to some extent, but he's, he was an awkward character. I don't think he's going to be missed in the dressing room as such, but he may well be missed out on the pitch because mm. if Morata doesn't click, Batshuayi doesn't look like the answer, and they could be really very short of goals, I think. So, yeah, again, you know, I, I think Batshuayi, he'll score goals next season. I, I, he scored a wonderful goal against Arsenal in, in Beijing in, in pre-season. He, he didn't get much game time last season, but towards the end of the season, uh, last season, he came on, scored goals, showed it that he's got that pace and that composure in the box. Uh, I think as far as Costa is concerned, we sat with Conti out in Singapore, uh, five or six of us, and he was explaining to us, very similar to what Sir Alex Ferguson did when he was in charge at Manchester United, you have to retain authority in the dressing room. Mm -hmm. There were two or three moments last season where Conte, uh, Costa challenged that authority. Uh, one of the games against Leicester... The substitution bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Where he was micromanaging from the uh, touchline and, and, and Costa basically said, look, if you don't like what I'm doing, take me off. Mm -hmm. That kind of defiance, one, if you don't stamp mm -hmm. on that... That's when you get the kind of insurrection we saw with Ranieri, with Mourinho. It could be really interesting, couldn't it? Because we were told by an Italian journalist, I think, last year when he came over to England that he was going to be fireworks and he was going to be a really fiery, abrasive character. He wasn't anything like that. No. It helps, no. obviously, that after a few couple of early defeats, they kept winning. But he, he was remarkably placid, wasn't he, and, and, and likeable. But we see, we're beginning to see a slightly more spiky mm. Conti. And whichever mm. way it goes this season, I think it could be... Could be a bit more flammable. Yeah, it will it'll be another season where the magnifying glass will be upon all the managers. Mm -hmm. At Palace, Crystal Palace, does Frank de Boer really convince you that he knows what the Premier League is all about? I'd say yes. I'd, I, I really would. I mean, we were fortunate enough to spend some time out in, in, in the Far East with, with him as well because he was part of the Asia Trophy four teams in there. And he was talking about the fact that, you know, he, 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 He's trying to find his feet at the club, but he's understanding uh, the culture of the club, the culture of the Premier League. He obviously wanted to go to Everton before Koeman went there. And he kind of maybe dropped Koeman in it at his, most, you know, his early press conference when he said Koeman actually didn't want it at first. <laughs> and I thought I was in for a chance. And then obviously he decided he did. But I think as far as De Boer is concerned, you look at the surgery he's, he's made already. He, he's brought in uh, Jero Riedewald, uh, the player that he worked with at Ajax. Uh, he brought him through the Youth Academy, made 90 seven appearances for him there. He's versatile. Right back, centre half, defensive midfield, he can play. They need uh, a centre half, don't they? Well, they're trying to get Sacco from Liverpool and they're playing the long game with him and he was key to them staying up last season. If they get Sacco, defensively, they'll be very strong. And that's one of the questions we asked him yeah, out in Asia. We said, look, the teams that have been successful have built from the back. And he said, if you look at my Ajax teams, they were very strong. And he also explained, I, I, I followed him when he was at was into Milan. 
He went there midway for a pre-season. He had a bloated squad, a disaffected squad, lots of older players who basically didn't really fancy it anymore. They didn't want to give him any time. They panicked when it started to go wrong. They threw him overboard. I think they'll be much more patient at Palace, and I think he'll be a success there. When I think about Palace, I think about Sahar. And I have to say, I'm not sure about him. I, yeah. I still feel there are attitude issues, consistency issues. What's your view of him, Dave? I like Zaha, and, and uh, I thought, he, you know, the times I saw him last year, maybe I just caught him on good days, but he, he's an exciting player. Uh, I thought he had his head screwed on quite well. I thought I thought he did all right under Allardyce. Um, he seems comfortable at Palace. I know, he, there, you know there have been issues with, with Spurs being interested at various points and might have turned his head a little bit, but I mean, I, I thought, you know, England, you know, messed up by allowing him mm. to go. Um, and I, you know, I, th I think he's an England player. I think he's possibly an England starter. You know, if he, if he retained his allegiance to England, I uh, understand why he didn't. Um, but it, yeah, he had, he had the choice. I, I've got a lot of time for Zaha. My, my concern with Palace is, is when you're looking at a big Sam team, um, and now a guy who's come up through the Ajax academy, you couldn't get a much bigger culture clash than that. They're, they are clearly going to be changing the way they play quite radically. Well, it's and going to be a counter-attacking yeah, policy, isn't it? Yeah, when you try and change the whole culture of how a team's going to play, you can have real teething problems and you can get sucked into problems at the bottom, wrong end of a table again. That is possible. They need a good start because the, you know, they, they, if you're supporting a club, you want a club to have its philosophy that won't change too radically when the manager changes. And that clearly isn't the case at Palace if you've gone from Big Sam to De Boer. But see, I, we asked him about that and he said, look, I, I'm, I'm not stupid. I, I think as far as Big Sam is concerned, I respect the work that he did when he was at the club. But the club have brought me in with a brief to move on from what Sam had done, to build on what Sam had done, to build on the defensive foundations that he laid at the club, but to play football. He actually said the board have asked me to, to, to play football. And I think with what they have, you know, I don't think he's lost that. What, he's, what the first couple of signings he's brought in have been um, a midfielder, talented Ruben mm. Loftus-Cheek, who mm. spotlight really will mm. be on him. Uh, but he's, he's a massive coup for the club in terms of bringing him in from Chelsea. But defenders, Sacco he wants, Riedewald he wants, he knows he can trust him. He's building from the back. He hasn't just gone glamour and gone for uh, players that can kind of garnish the whole thing. He's putting the foundations down before he puts the roof on, uh, which is much the same as Allardyce would have done anyway. Mm. I, I don't think he's going to move too far away from what Allardyce has done. And he said to us, if you look at my teams, obviously myself being defensively minded, they've built from the back. You'll see that again at Palace. I think they'll be fine. Yeah. What about Everton? Now, there's a lot of optimism that they can break into the top six. It's a tough ask. Are they capable of doing that? I don't think so, no. I think Pickford and Keane are good signings, good long-term signings, but the fact is they've lost their goal scorer and they've lost a player who you wanted to be... Uh, Everton would have wanted to be, um, you know, Mr Everton for the next generation if they've got real ambitions. Barkley, we, we know it's, 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 he's been infuriating. He's been infuriating to Koeman, been infuriating for supporters. But I think, you, you know, if you've got a good long-term project and you've got a, a, a local kid with, with the amount of talent that Barkley's got, you want him to stay. He's not going to stay. Whether they get Sigurdsson in, that might, might fill that gap to some extent. I like Sigurdsson a lot. But they've, they've gone for Wayne Rooney when they should be going for the guy who was, who was supposed to be the heir of Rooney, the guy who's at the start of his career, not the guy who's way over the hill, I'm afraid, which Rooney mm. is. And he's a, he's, you know, he's a, he's a real high mileage 31-year-old Wayne Rooney. But 
you know, if you look at it in the overall terms, he could be a standard setter within the dressing room because he's bound to get the respect that he, he obviously deserves. See, Mike, you're going to hit me over the head, but I agree with, with Dave, I think. It, people say what Rooney brings to the dressing room. Well, what did he bring when he was with England and they were up against against Iceland? What did he bring to Manchester United before the arrival of Zlatan Ibrahimovic? You know, mm -hmm. He was the one who inspired the young players. He was the one who led from the front, not just with his performances, but with his goals as well, key goals and key games to get Manchester United over the line. But if you're a young player and you can't learn from someone of his experience, why are you in the game? Well, yeah, but, but uh, listen, this is not to deride Rooney, because obviously record goal scorer for England, record goal scorer for Manchester United, his achievements say it all. But if you're a club like Everton who aspire to break into the top four, top six, you've got to go out and get somebody who is young and, and, and going to be the next big thing. PSG, obviously on a very, very different scale, um, they want to break into the very elite. So they go out and get a heavyweight performer in his mid-twenties. Mm. Rooney's been brilliant for football, not just for Manchester United, but for English football. But I think that it might well have been time for, for Everton to get the next big thing. We couldn't get in the Man United team last year. If Everton want to be where Man United, get to fifth, say, where United, sixth where United were last season, and Rooney couldn't get into that United team, why should he be, you know... Why should Everton be pinning their hopes on him? Mm. Let's talk about Huddersfield, if we may. 11 new players, and they've almost done the polar opposite to what Brighton have done in terms of they're pretty much recycling yes. the squad. Um, very impressive manager in David Wagner. Is that going to be enough? No, uh, I, I think you know the suggestion in your question is that sometimes the, the the quality in the Premier League means that personality and you know even sometimes shrewd signings and, and some of the signings he has made have been very shrewd for the you know when he was in the Championship but the Premier League a very different beast altogether. He has made some interesting ones. Aaron Moo was key to them going up from the Championship mm. last season. Steve Mooney, their record signing, £11 million, scored 14 goals for Montpellier last season. They've got two or three players who you would say, yeah, in the Premier League, they might be interesting. Will it be enough? I don't think it will. Mm. What's it say about the standard of coaching in Germany where you've got now there's this influx? You know, we started with Klopp and now we've got Wagner and... Uh, you know, others will come in. I think. Well, over Daniel Clark has gone to, no uh, Norwich, uh, to Norwich. Actually, yeah. Absolutely. What are, what are they doing right in Germany in, in terms of developing their coaches? Do you think? I, got, I mean, he's. I, I remember speaking to him, did a sort of interview with him soon after he went to Huddersfield about eighteen months ago. Really was impressed with him, and he, he seemed, although he's obviously very close to Klopp, I think he was best man at his yeah, wedding. He was, yeah very good friends as players and as a coach. He did see, also seem, seem his own man. He's got similar ideas in a lot of ways, but he seemed very strong-willed. But he, I think it's a case of having, having a strong philosophy, believing in that philosophy and, and putting it into practice. And he, he didn't suffer any falls, but he's a, an impressive guy. I wasn't particularly surprised to see them go up, but it is going to be tough for them. It's really going to be tough. And although they've brought in a lot of players, they haven't brought in an awful lot of proven Premier League quality. Um, it might be quite difficult for him to work out what his first eleven is because he's got players there who've been successful with him. But at the same time, you know, I watched that playoff final last year. It was one of the worst games of football I've ever seen. <laughs> Neither Huddersfield nor Reading looked anywhere near Premier League 
side on, on that day. Um, I mean, he does have he does have some experience. Jorgensen's played probably mm. nearly a hundred yeah. times for Copenhagen. I think he was a captain there. Yeah. Played for PS, PSV as well. Um, Del Potra Spurs was looking at him. He's twenty eight years of age. He's played Champions League uh, football, international football as well. So there is experience yeah. that he's brought in. You mentioned eleven new players. Mm. But, they're favourites oh, they to go enough. down. They're, they're, they're clearly everyone's favourites to go down pretty much. Anyone outside of Huddersfield will say they're, they're favourites to go down. But they've got a puncher's chance because they've got a very good manager. Yeah. They're, they're not going to be whipping boys, but it's going to be a big struggle for them. Not every, everyone knows that. Yeah. What about Leicester? You know, last season was a reality check for them. Yeah. What's the extent of their realistic ambitions this year? I think they can look, even, even now, at a top seven finish. And I know that's a big thing to say, but I think they've bought well. I think they've got a manager that the players believe in. I think they lost faith in Ranieri last season, but we saw towards the back end of last season, once Ranieri left and the run that they went on, that they can do it when they want to. He's performed some decent surgery. I think Kalechi Inacho for £25 million is one of the best signings of this crazy transfer window. Uh, he's young, he's quick, he's composed in the box, he's strong. I am staggered that Manchester City let him go. What does that say about City? Is it says a... that they are uh, focused more on glamour signings, big name signings. They're impatient. They don't want. They've got a wonderful academy. They, the talk mm. is that young players want to go to City rather than United up in Manchester these days. Mm. But I think to let a player like Iheanacho go is just remarkable for me. I mean, they've got the insurance policy of I think it's a fifty million pound buyback, but. You know, he will go to Leicester and he'll score goals for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, in midfield, they've got Ibora, who's experienced. And, 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 and he, Here's the signing that really registered with me because you, you look at him on the pit, he's a natural leader, only costs 12 million from Seville. He could have a key influence. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that. He's a very, he's a very sort of savvy sort of player. I think Maguire's a good, a good signing as well. Yeah. I really like the look of Harry Maguire. One of the couple of sort of English centre halves who really sort of emerged last year. Um, I totally agree about Ian Nacho. I fancy Leicester to, to finish top half, seventh, eighth, that kind of thing. I think Mares, it's time to let Mares go. Mm. It's time to really yeah. move on yeah. from that. And they, yeah. are, they already have had run, two, obviously, run, when Kante left, but they yeah. are, to really properly move on from that title-winning team, mm. which were utterly unable to do anything about trying mm. to defend that title, yeah. although they had a very, very impressive run in Europe. Um, I think that it feels like a fresh start, and I think they can kick on Leicester. Mahrez reminds me of you know when you break up with your missus and you're still living in the same house. You know, he clearly yeah. wants to go. Let yeah. the guy go. You yeah. get your money in, yeah. cut him. Well, was it the third, the third bid was what thirty-one and a half million. Mm. Yeah, no, I mean they want. Listen again. Some players when they're not interested, they're going to stink the place out, aren't they? And yeah. I think yeah. Yeah. Is one of them. The big problem for them, very quickly, is that Leicester, the owners, obviously billionaires, and uh, so they don't. They can play the long game as far as the bidding is concerned, and they look at players like Sigurdsson, who look as who looks as though he's going to go for fifty million pounds. Scored nine goals, I think it was last season. Uh, Mares on his day, PFA Player of the Year, mm. uh, former uh, title winner. So they're saying, well, if he can go for fifty million pounds in this crazy market, we're justified in demanding a minimum of fifty for Mares, and that's the big problem and the reason why he's still there. Yeah, I, I suppose all these deliberations have to have some sort of health warning because you know so much can happen in the next twenty-four days, whatever it is. The, the window's still open, but let's look at Liverpool. They're going to come under pressure from Barcelona for Philippe Coutinho. What happens if they succumb to that pressure? I think that will be one of the stories of this summer because uh, in Asia, 
Jurgen Klopp on and off the record was unequivocal that he will not be selling his star player. If Coutinho does go to Barcelona, they've been very aggressive, not so much uh, as much in their pursuit of him uh, as the, the kind of media noises, smoke signals that they've been sending out as well, that they believe they've got him. Now, if that's the case, I wonder what Klopp might start thinking about the ambition of Liverpool, because if they keep him, you, you see them as potential title contenders. I think they will shoehorn Van Dijk out of Southampton if they get a decent central, commanding central midfielder. I know they won't cater. They'll probably have to wait till next year. If they get another one this, this summer, you can think of them as title contenders. If Coutinho goes, no chance. Mm. Do you agree with that? Though? Yeah, the, the, I think you know a club can dig in. There's no such thing as we, Barcelona think they've got him. If Liverpool don't want to sell for any price, That's my they point. don't have to sell. It's and, yeah, Liverpool. Exactly. Sell Liverpool have got to show Klopp that ambition. And yes, they may well do that. Um, I, I, I think they. I think they're going to even with Coutinho. I think they're going to struggle to juggle Champions League and Premier League. I don't think there's massive, massive depth there. I think they'll struggle to, to keep that top four place. As I say, Arsenal without their Champions League and sort of not taking the Europa League terribly seriously. I think Arsenal will use that to their advantage. I think Spurs will struggle at Wembley. So therefore, I th uh, but I, th I think Liverpool, if I was going to bet, I'd say Liverpool finish outside the top four even with Coutinho. Right. Uh, and I agree that if they were to sell him, I don't think they will. If they were to sell him, then it really will spell big problems in terms of whether Klopp sees his future there. Mm. It's, it's that serious. Sorry, we can just go on, uh, Darren, just to Manchester City sure. in, the, in that sense where... I think it's a now-or-never season for them. <laughs> I don't think, and it's a big thing to say, but I don't think anything other than winning the league will do for Guardiola. He has had change-your-life money from the club, change-your-life backing from, in, in terms of the players that he's been able to acquire. There, is n there can be no excuses for him because the full-backs have signed over £140 million worth of full-back they've signed. Um, I, I do rate Carl Walker, so if you're going to ask me if he's worth mm. the money, yeah, he was part of the best defensive in the Premier League last season and the season before, and in the current market, I, I don't have a problem with £50 million for him. Mendy, too, you know, one of the most exciting young players in Europe last season as a fullback. It is crazy money, but in the current market, you, you can justify it. But in terms of Guardiola, he now has to go out there. He's got wonderful players, wonderful depth, a wonderful squad. He's got to win the league. Anything else, he cannot turn around and say to Man City, you didn't get me this, you didn't get me that, because they've got him everything he's wanted. What about Guardiola, Dave? Are you impressed by him? Well, I wasn't particularly impressed with him last season. No, I'm, I'm, we'll talk about Mourinho next, I'm sure, as well. As a pair, they came in and, and last season they were on every billboard and it was all going to be about the two of them and neither of them were even close to winning the title. City didn't win anything, United finished sixth. But they, they both should be the top, they should have been the top two last season in terms of what they spent and, and the, the profile of the managers who we were told were the best two in the world. Um, my concern is that I definitely think that looking at the quality of signings they've made, the quality of the overall squad, the amount of money they've spent, City should win the title. I just fear that Guardiola cannot and will not adapt to the league in any way, shape or form. He's too much of a fundamentalist and a purist that... I think I, I sort of if, if it ends up being United or City, I go with United because they've because they've got more yeah. than Naus. They've got more of a, of a typical Premier League title-winning team about them. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that, Darren. Because if you look at them, they're Mourinho's monsters. They're they're a huge team physically. Mm. And I can see them dominating physically and imposing themselves on the opposition. 
And if you look at that squad, they've got the deepest squad in the oh, Premier League. It's fearsome. That, to me, adds up as champions. I, I think you definitely have to look at them and being in, in a shake-up. Mourinho, if you look at him historically, the second season tends to be the one where he does go on to win the title. I've got to say, I've been very disappointed with uh, Guardiola, just final word on him in terms of not being able to improve some of the players he's got there. Why didn't he keep in, in actual and improve him? Why hasn't he improved John Stones since he's been? He was supposed to be this top super coach. Why hasn't he improved some of the players? Not the ones he's brought in, but some of the young players with potential. I think Mourinho, for all the criticism that he has had, players that work with Mourinho, they know their jobs, they're efficient, they have the confidence and the belief to be able to follow through. He delivered the Europa League for them last season. I think he'll be in the title shake-up this season. They look strong at the back, joint best defensive uh, record two seasons ago. They were solid last season. I think they'll be solid again. I think Pogba will be better this season for his uh, campaign in the he's Premier League target, so far. 15 goals. Well, I mean, again, you know, it, that's the kind of boldness that you want from a, a midfielder, but you also want him to dominate games like Bale did when he broke the transfer record as well, the mm. world transfer record. Um, they've got wonderful depth. I think Lukaku will prove a lot of people wrong, and I hope he does, because this nonsense about his first touch, you bring him in to score goals, that's what he's done over the last four seasons, and and United, he'll be a monster. I think you're right, they'll be in a shake-up. Absolutely they will. Mm. With Mourinho, he's a pragmatist, isn't he? Yeah. Is that what the Premier League needs? Yeah, I think it's win, win, yeah, it's what a club needs to win the Premier League. And that's why I'd give him the edge over Guardiola, despite City spending even more than United um, over the last couple of years. It, uh, you know, they've both they've both spent obscene amounts of money yeah. over the last three or four years, and for the last three seasons, neither Manchester clubs come anywhere near to winning that title despite spending far more than anyone else. So, yeah, but Mourinho, it's it's, it's like a sort of a Galactico Tony Pulis team because they're, they're all going to be six foot four and they're all, and they're going to should dominate every set piece and they're they're, an, you know, they're kind of a rich man's Tony Pulis team and and, and um, rich man's West Brom and they could end up winning the. That's unfair. I think that's unfair because you know they can play football with they. They're, want a, rich, they're a rich man's turn. Rich, yeah, the, the core of their being is they're a bunch of really big blokes who, who can physically yeah. beat you up. What about Newcastle? Now, there is an assumption in the air that Newcastle is going to be okay, mm. simply because of Rafa Benitez. And he says he's 100% committed to the club. Mm. Is that commitment being reciprocated? Because I look at that squad and it's not good enough at the moment. It probably isn't, but there are... Uh, you gave the health warning about a few weeks left to go in the transfer window. And I just think, Mike, this, this whole narrative that accompanies Benitez wherever he goes, the club are not giving me enough backing, is tiresome. Because if you bring in a manager of Benitez's calibre, it's a given that you are going to support him. They supported him with the players to get out of the championship. They will support him again with the players to, to, to do well in the Premier League. He wants Lucas Perez, they're negotiating with Arsenal uh, for him. Perez did, couldn't get a game, still scored, I think it was seven, between seven and ten goals last season. Scored 18 goals the season before uh, when he was at Deportivo. Uh, I think as far as Benitez is concerned, he'll get that backing. He is getting that backing. And to see him moaning again about Ashley, when Ashley's a businessman, probably some would say not a very good one. <laughs> That's a matter of opinion, I don't know. Uh, but as far as backing Benitez is concerned, I think he's getting it. And I think that the onus is on him 
to do well rather than getting his excuses in early. Yeah, and he's, he's already trying to get the fans behind him, well, isn't he? Well, he certainly did that right from the word go. He's, he's a master at that, and uh, he says all the right things. And he knows, because Ashley's always never going to be a personally popular with, with, with the Geordies, that, that he's onto a winner there, and he's, he's played them masterfully, hasn't he, um, since he's been there. Even, even I remember when they were relegated, you know, it, it felt, uh, because Benitez was there, and then they beat Spurs 5-1 after they'd been relegated. It was as if, you know, they just won, won a trophy or something and they'd been relegated. It was extraordinary. And, and, and that sort of carried into to last season. He did a very good job in getting them out. It's not easy to get out of the Championship, however much you spend. And actually Newcastle didn't spend money in, in nets because they sold Sissoko and Wijnaldum for a lot of money. So actually hasn't particularly given him a lot, a lot of back in the... It's not so much, I don't know if it's a case of actually not having the the will to, to back him. It's a case of, the, there seems to be a vacuum in terms of who gets the job done in the transfer market um, there. That's what I'm, I'm hearing. That's the frustration for Benitez. Mm. But... Well, Graham Carr having got means yeah, that, that obviously... Which Benitez it, wanted. Which Benitez yeah. wanted means that he's got... One of the big things he's wanted, Carr had been there for quite a long time. Yeah, They've been mining the talent out yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. So... In terms of backing the manager, you're giving him what he wants. Mm. I agree with your point about the fact that they haven't spent a lot net, but they've got bodies mm. in the door. They've got the players in that have been able to do the job. And as you rightly say, it is hard to get yeah. out of the championship. Yeah. To do so at your first attempt with the players that have made a sizable contribution to the club suggests that the club are giving you the tools to do the mm. job. Fact of life, you've got to f follow the business plan. Now, that's never more apparent than at Southampton. Can they keep on doing what they've been doing? Yeah, probably, yeah. I mean, we, 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 it's easy to say, oh, yeah, this is the year it's all going to catch up with them, but I, I, I don't see that. I think it's a really well-run football club. Like, uh, I, what I was saying about Palace in terms of, you know, when, when a manager changes, as they often do at Palace and at Southampton, South, at Southampton you feel there's always a plan in place and, and it's it's pretty seamless transition. And now with Pellegrino, I think it was the same that, you know, the last... Well, actually, didn't do a bad job. You know, they got they played really well to, to get to the final and played very well in the final of a league cup, and they had a perfectly good league season. Um, he clearly wasn't personally popular, and and now they've changed the game. But there's a very good youth academy in the same way that Tottenham do. They're very keen to get players bloodied in the first team. They're not they're not frightened to do that. So many clubs in the Premier League are cowardly in terms of they will not give youth a chance. They will send them out on loan rather than do it themselves. Mm. Southampton have never had that philosophy. Uh, there's a lot, lot to admire about them. I like Gabbiadini a lot. He's going to be the next big sale at that place, assuming that Van Dijk's going to go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Gabbiadini showed last season, uh, not just in the League Cup final, but also the games where he had an injury that kind of halted his momentum. But before that injury, he was a very exciting strike who kind of showed other... Well, showed where that money had gone that they spent on him in, uh, in the window. I think I, I, I agree with Dave, you know, Matt Target was the latest in a long line of young players to sign a new long-term deal with the club last week. I think as far as uh, the incomers are concerned, Mario Lamina should be the latest to sign within the next week or so from Juventus, uh, early 20s, Gabon International, very versatile as well. Um, and they've got the, the depth and the squad, the youth, the hunger, they need to cut and dyke loose. Obviously they've got to do a deal that suits them best. 
it's all very well, and we've seen it many times, Mike, in terms of the principle of holding a player to his contract. He signed a new six-year deal last year, but he wants to go. And essentially, you just got to make sure you get the deal that works for you and let him go. But I think Van Dijk's commitment to the club is over. And, you know, just to use that analogy again, once the missus says she wants out, she's got to go. <laughs> or you've got to go. Yeah, you can tell us your problems later, mate. <laughs> what about Stoke, Dave? Now, I get the impression that they could well be sleepwalking to disaster. Yeah, I, I'm not convinced they'll go down this season or anything like that, but you, you sort of sometimes worry about a club that's been well-established in the Premier League and then just it's, you know, mid-table for many years and, and then just start to make a backward step and then you worry where that's going over the next season or two. You've seen it with, let's say, Villa and Sunderland and Fulham and Blackburn and Bolton and you suddenly, you know, they're clubs that have been like a decade maybe in, in, in the Premier League or more and they're just suddenly sliding out of that mid-table and I just wonder if that's where Stoke are going. The idea that they were going to totally reinvent themselves under Hughes and sign sort of star players, certainly by Stoke standards, star players, and, and reinvent themselves as a sort of Barcelona for the potteries, it, it's not happened. It's not quite happened. And now I'm a, a little bit concerned about what the direction is there. Um, I could, mm. see, could see them, uh, you know, if not this season, then next season, just feel like it's a bit of a downward trajectory. Yeah, I know. It can be difficult to reverse. Really really had a pop, didn't he? Basically said when he was going to West Ham, I'm, I'm joining a bigger, better club. Yeah, with the ambition to um, help me to achieve what I want to in English football. And then what subsequently happened was quite nasty because the ownership, I think it was the chairman who had a pop back. And then Arnautovic's brother uh, went even further and criticised what he described as the garbage at the club. Uh, it was all very unseemly, all, all very poor. And depending on which side of the fence you fall, the acquisition of Eric Chupamoting, a free transfer from Schalke, what, what does that say? He hasn't got a particularly free-scoring uh, goals record, uh, and yet he's replaced a £25 million forward who's gone to West Ham and will strengthen them. You have to wonder whether, as, as Kiddo was saying, you know, they're, they're trying to kind of reinvent this Barcelona or the Potteries, but it's not happening because... Yes, you've got the likes of Jordan and Shakiri who they had to try time and again. to. He didn't want to initially come and he refused to come initially. And then eventually he did come, made a great, you know, great contribution. But there are so many players who just haven't done it there. And uh, I, I think next season's going to be quite key. They were getting beat a lot of fours last season. And I think they need to get a good, solid start to maybe get a bit of confidence high within the players. Otherwise, maybe morale might go down. What about Swansea? If you look at them, Paul Clement kept them up. Yeah. Can he continue to keep them up? Yeah, I think so. Um, he's, a, he's an impressive coach. Um, I, I think they've, they've they've got some good players there. I think they've, they've, they'll miss Sigurdsson. Um, they, they, they will miss Sigurdsson if he goes. But I, I think, again, what I was saying about Southampton, they've been a club with a real template. They lost their way a little bit, certainly um, under um, Bradley and... Um, our Italian friend, whose name escapes me, um, the last two managers basically, they just seem to lose their way. We I think Whedling, with um, a <laughs> memorable blow, wouldn't it? Um, I, 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 feel, I felt towards the end of last season, I went down there a couple of times, and, and, and it just felt like they, the place was right behind Clement, and they were mm. playing like Swansea again, and they had real belief and purpose about them. You know, I, I think you would keep them up, um, and perhaps a little bit more, but. It's not. It's not easy. It's never easy for a club of that size. You know, it never is. And if you're going to lose Sigurdsson, who's, who's, you know, stats in terms of assists were, were been outstanding, then then that's going to be a that's going to be a big hole to fill. Tammy Abraham, 
he will benefit from the coaching expertise of Paul Clement. Will he make a big impact, do you think, this season in the Premier League? I think he will. Uh, Clement knows him from the Chelsea Academy. Uh, I would have thought Chelsea would have kept him. Uh, young, hungry, uh, talent, eager to leapfrog the higher-profile players uh, at Stamford Bridge. He would have almost been uh, sort of Chelsea's Harry Kane, if you like. And um, I think he'll be at Swansea and he'll make a huge impact. Uh, I, I, he's obviously gone away with uh, on international duty and done well. And I think as far as Swansea are concerned, he provides a cutting edge. They'll obviously look to bring in more. There's talk that they're going to bring in maybe Wilfred Bonny back to the club. But I think in terms of the signings they've made, Salvar, very, very astute indeed. And £50 million, as good a player as Sigurdsson is, I still think £50 million is terrific business. Mm. With Spurs, you spoke earlier, Dave, about the Wembley factor, mm. and you think it could count against yeah. them. Why? I, I, I genuinely think that they, if they were still at White Hart Lane this season, they'd be champions. I'd, I'd be tipping them to win the league. And at Wembley, I think they will not finish in the top four. I think it's that big a difference. They won 17 games in a row at White Hart Lane. They were invincible there. Something about the soul of that place. They, they were just invincible. And at Wembley, they had been very, very poor. And the, play, the players are very, very aware of it. And they were aware of it that they went into that Champions League campaign feeling pretty negatively about it and it, and it, and it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's never going to be their home stadium. It doesn't feel anything like White Hart Lane. And they've, they've now got, at a time when they've got a team who I think were ready to win the title, they've now got two, not one year, but two years of playing in unfamiliar stadiums. They've one year at Wembley, another year next door at the new stadium at White Hart Lane. And although they had to make that move, it's just the timing's been very unfortunate for them. It could have cost them that chance of winning the title. I think Spurs are that good they could have won the league. I really think Wembley is a massive factor for them. I couldn't disagree more, I have to say. I think if you look at the new Watford manager, Marco Silva, mm -hmm. and the unbeaten record that he had had at his previous club before going to Hull, it is possible to be able to transfer the mentality of, of going undefeated from one place to another. That's a manager, think, not a team, though. Well, it is a manager, but the manager transmits that kind of philosophy, that, that kind of identity, that character, that belief to his football team. Spurs this weekend, impressive winners, 2-0 against Juventus, a very strong Juventus. Not paying any attention to pre-season. Well, I suppose we have to, because I think if you're going to start as you mean to go on, and if you look at the consistency of Spurs over the last two seasons, at joint best defensive record two seasons. Well, Spurs you see, at the thing is, in, in journalism, we tend to create narratives that we want to cling to. And I think that, for us as journalists, has been a narrative. Spurs are poor at Wembley. So the first time they come unstuck at Wembley, we'll say the curse strikes again. Instead of actually looking at the potential for optimism that there is the from players, a win over the, the a very good event. The players are very aware of the Wembley factor. Well, they might well be, but I think that has been last season and this is a new season. Do those players, Dave, need the freshness of new faces around them? I think them? they do need one or two, yeah. I mean, I really, you know, I, they, they need to get into the right back through the door because Trippier's currently injured and at any point when he does get injured that they've got to have another right back to replace Kyle Walker but I, I don't think they need major, sur major surgery at all but I, I'd still like to see you know a genuine class back up for Kane that's the obvious one mm. um, I don't think they need to do too much but I always think that just one or two you know when you're on the verge of something very good that one or two can just push people on mm. um, I, I'm full of admiration for leaving the way he runs that club and, and, the, and the way it contrasts so strongly with every other major club throwing 
tons of money at it. I just really think this Wembley factor is going to be the um, undoing of them this season. I don't think you'll ever agree, Darren, but just <laughs> let's go into Watford if we could. You, you mentioned Marco Silva. Is it not strange that here's someone whose reputation has soared despite getting his team relegated? Um, not really, because I think the reason why Steve Bruce left at the start of last season is because he could see the problems that had existed and continued to exist at the club. The owner wants to sell. At that point, they didn't want to Hull, invest. We're talking Hull, Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, at that point, he didn't want to bring in, uh, or didn't want to spend big money. Um, so what they achieved early in the season was on, on a shoestring, really. Then uh, once, obviously, Phelan got the job, things went downhill, and Silva was basically trying to save a sinking ship. He didn't, but he did manage to impress us all with the work that he did during the time that he was there. Do you think he'll kick on? I think he will. He'll go to Watford. Uh, they've got a better setup. Uh, the reason why they sacked his predecessor was because they felt with the players they have, they were entitled to expect better in terms of the football and in terms of the morale within the squad. Neither was uh, good enough. And I think with the players he's bought so far, they will do well. Uh, obviously, Chalab is going to be a wonderful signing for them in midfield, and he'll be an another who may well embarrass uh, Chelsea in terms of people asking, why did you not keep him at the club? Uh, but I think as far as Silver is concerned, I expect him to make a big impact at Watford. What about West Brom, Dave? Same old, same old. We've got Tony Pulis. We've got last season, they, they made fewer changes than any other team, only 49 across the, yeah. the season. Is it going to be the same story? Yeah, Megston's gone in as number two, so that's bad cop, bad cop, I think. That's really cool. <laughs> they're not going to be um, the chuckle brothers, not, are they? No, and they're not going to be great to watch. Um, I love going to the Hawthorns. It's a proper old-fashioned football ground, great supporters, and, and, and they're always going to do well at home. Um, as I said about United, uh, being, being the rich man's West Brom, they are uh, you know, a bunch of very big blokes who know their way around the league, and they're not going to get bullied by anybody. And they're going to get enough points to be probably mid-table again, I would have thought. Um, I don't think I'd want to be, you know, a season ticket at the Hawthorne particularly. I don't think I'd want to watch it every week. I don't know if you get one after this. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to watch it every week, but they'll, they'll do perfectly well. Um, and yeah. the what about, finally, West Ham? There's all the Farago about the London Stadium or the Olympic Stadium or whatever you want to call it, the Brady Dome. Has all that now dissipated? They don't make any difference to a club, so he's going to... You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's a very different just a political... Just a journalistic narrative. <laughs> well, listen, I think as far as, as Spurs are concerned and, and, and uh, West Ham, Spurs were the best balanced side in the Premier League this season. Best attack, best defence. West Ham, very, very different. Uh, thin squad, poor in attack, poor in defence, beaten uh, by some of the biggest clubs in the Premier League last season. They've done well in, in signing, but I think Bilic has made a very interesting call, deciding against pursuing Iheanacho so that he could get uh, Hernandez mm -hmm. through the door. Um, I think Iheanacho is a wonderful signing, who they could have got the best out of for uh, a number of years. Y you wonder how long uh, Hernandez will retain his appetite. His goal-scoring record, as we all know, is second to none, having done it for uh, Manchester United and Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, but how long will his, he will retain that appetite? They've got a great front three now. Obviously, AU can score goals as well, but Arnautovic will be there. Mark, uh, Mikel Antonio, when he uh, recovers from injury, will, will, will sort of make up that attack too. I just think they're weak in midfield. They need to do more surgery there. And at the back as well, I'm not convinced. Hart will have scrutiny all season. Every single time he puts a foot wrong, everyone will come down like a ton of bricks. But he's done the right thing by coming back to English football because he needs to play regularly and he needs a club that are going to believe in him.
Right, as I said at the start, it's tin helmet time. <laughs> I want your top four and your bottom three, please. Darren. <laughs> start with you. <laughs> All, right, okay. All right, okay. Top four. I am going to buck every trend and go for Chelsea to, to bring in the, the players during the remainder of the transfer window to ensure that they stay top. I think United second, City third, and I'm going to go for Tottenham fourth. And bottom three? The bottom three, I'm going to go for Burnley, Brighton and Huddersfield. Um, United to win it, City second, um, Arsenal third, Chelsea fourth, um, and go down Huddersfield, Burnley and Watford. Well, for me as well, United champions, City, Chelsea and Spurs in the top four. Brighton, Huddersfield and Stoke to go down. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.